All right, church, go ahead and take a seat and let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your power, your authority, and your goodness in our lives. Father, today, help us to just be in pursuit of you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. Help us, Father, to have the passion that we see in David. And Lord, I pray that as we seek you, it would just align everything else in our life and bring a, a reality of health and goodness to us. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be with you, church. We are uh, in this sermon series, The Dominion of God, and, and we're talking about God's place in our life and God's place in the world and, and how we're, we're supposed to re relate to that and what that means for our lives. And, uh, and I was thinking about this when, when, when I was a kid, we kind of, we grew up going to this beach. It was up in like the Huron area. And, uh, and we, we uh, it was in next to this trailer park that we would go to. And this beach was kind of in no man's land. Like no one knew who owned it, you know? I don't know if you've ever been to a place like that. Um, and so, but like all as a kid, we would go there and we would swim and we would have a great time, and it kind of, you know, felt like it was ours, you know, because there's never anybody else. There's never... And then finally, like, one day, someone came down, and they were like, hey, get out of here. We're like, no, we've been coming here, like, all my life, you know, where'd you come from? And, and that guy was like, hey, I, this is my beach. You can't be here. Um, you need to leave. And you know, we kind of disputed that a little bit. There, it was one of those gray areas, you know, and, uh, and it kind of went back and forth, you know, because, uh, you know, possession is nine-tenths of law. Someone said that. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that actually holds up, but at certain times, it's a convenient thought, um, and, uh, and so it all went, and finally, uh, the, the guy ended up calling the sheriff, and the sheriff came, and he said, he said, all right, here's the deal. It's not really clear who owns this based on whatever he was looking at. And he said, really what needs to happen is you need to get someone to come out and survey the land and figure it out. And then only then, once I know where actually the boundaries are and who owns it, you know, then I can tell you if people can be here or not. But, but I don't know. We don't know who owns it, which was a great victory for us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, uh, and we kept swimming there, you know? Um, now, but it, it's interesting, the whole idea of who owned the property was the question that mattered most, right? And, and granted, that's a, a really important question, because if it's their, his property, then yeah, he has every right to say who can be there and who not, and if it's not, then, then that's, that's different. And when we talk about God's authority and God's power, I think that question is actually relevant to us. Like, who owns this world? Who owns our life? Who gets to decide what we should do or what life should look like? Well, it, it matters who the owner is. You with me on this? And what we've been talking about is that, that God is the one who is in charge of everything. That God is the one who is ultimately in authority. And, and that when we, you know, relate to him uh, differently when that, where, where we kind of look and say, well, hey, 
This is my life to do with it, whatever I want. Uh, I'm the property owner here. That it actually inevitably messes up our life. Because you and I, we were created for God. And created to live in a healthy relationship with him. And to live under his authority, under his wisdom, under his way. I came across an interesting um, study recently, and it's from this book called All Things Shining. And the, the book is by a, a Harvard professor and a Berkeley professor. And they write about, in, in our culture today, we've lost this sense of sacred things. So there, there's like, you know, nothing sacred where in the past people would view different places and different things as sacred. And, and ultimately, what the authors say is that that in, in our world today, we've lost a sense of sacred. We've lost a sense of God as real and as authoritative in our life. And they said, and so what's happened is that we have to create meaning ourselves. That ultimately before, we were able to find meaning and purpose in our life by being connected to something infinitely bigger than us. But because we've, we've kind of cut a lot of that out in our world and our culture, the author says, now we have to try to figure out meaning and purpose. But here's what's interesting. They say, but it doesn't work. It ends, it, ends up, it ends up crushing us. It ends up creating a lot more emptiness in our lives. And they weren't, you know, writing this from a Christian perspective, but I thought that was pretty fascinating. In other words, what, what they're saying is when, when we look at the, the our lives, and we say, you know what, I, I'm not sure who's in charge of this, but I think it's me. So we can, we can do that, but it creates problems and emptiness and brokenness, and many of us know what that's like. We've been down that road before, and, and we know where that goes. And so today, what I want to talk about is having our hearts get to that place where we are seeking to honor God above all, where we're seeking to relate to him in the right way. And here's kind of how I'm talking about it today. I want to talk about the ripple effect of a spiritually healthy heart. How when, when I relate to God, when, when I relate to a God that exists, that's in control, that is meant to be directive in my life, that's what I call kind of our heart being in a spiritually healthy place. And it creates a cascading effect for good in our life. Like, have you ever noticed that, that sometimes if you get one habit right, it creates a good chain reaction in your life? Or if you get one wrong, it creates a bad chain reaction? Like, I notice if I can get up before the kids, and I can pray, and I can read my Bible, and I can drink my coffee in peace, and I can do a couple other things, I am a hundred times better human being for most of the rest of the day. Doesn't always work, but it's like eight out of ten. You know what I'm saying? Uh, at the same time, you know, those days where uh, I'm dragging, I, I get up late, it's like you wake up into chaos. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm just like, all right, this, is, uh, this chain reaction is probably not going in the right place. But there's some habits, there's some decisions that we make that they create a cascading effect. They, they create a ripple effect. That sometimes you don't have to get everything right, but if you get this one thing right, it will produce a lot of really good effects in our life. 
And that's what getting our heart right is. When, it, when it's relating to God from this place of acknowledgement of his authority, of his power, of his goodness, of his wisdom, and, and our heart is centered on that in the right way, church, it creates these beautiful ripple effects for good in our life. And I want to show this to you today. So we're going to look at uh, a couple verses in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. I'm going to bounce around a little bit between these two chapters uh, because it's just such a cool story. And 1 Chronicles is one of the history books of the Old Testament, and it centers a lot around the ancient King David. Now, there's another history book called 1 and 2 Samuel that talk about David as well, but 1 Chronicles just emphasizes some, some different things. And at this point, we're coming to the end of this ancient King David, of his rule and his reign, and he knows his, his years are short, and the kingdom's going to transfer out of his hands. And he's kind of at this uh, point where he's figuring out what this all means. And here's where I want to start, 28 verse 2. It says this, Then King David rose to his feet, and he said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart. If you got a copy of the scripture, just underline or circle that word heart. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Now, this is a really fascinating thing that David is telling us today. He's saying, this is what is in my heart. I want to build a resting place for the ark of the Lord. Now, what is David talking about here? Well, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know all about the ark. Uh, but the ark is kind of this, this interesting thing that, that we see, you know, uh, from the time of Moses and, and into the story of David. And just to kind of give you a little sense of it, it was this, this box that was overlaid with gold and it had these, you know, beautiful sort of angelic-like figures on it. And, and basically, to make it simple, it represented the presence of God among his people. It, it basically, and, and they kind of, they took it a little bit too far. They started kind of seeing it as like a, a lucky rabbit's foot, you know. If we bring this with us to the right places, then everything's going to go the way that's meant, but, but it never was meant to be something like that. It, it, was, it was meant to be, be something that helped people understand the presence of God and what that means. And David's predecessor named King Saul, we see that, that the, the ark was kind of, it was at the border of Israel. It was on the outskirts of the kingdom when he was king. And one of the first things that David did when he was king was he took the ark from the borders and he brought it to the center of the kingdom. And I think in doing that, it shows us and helps us to understand something about the heart of David. I think there's almost a metaphor in that. Under King Saul, when you read about his story, and we've done messages on some of his life, uh, you'll see that, that it was, the kingdom was always in a, a pretty terrible spot. There was a lot of brokenness and dysfunction and all the wrong things happening. But under David, 
it became great. It became healthy. It became something that, that glorified God. And I think that if you kind of think about it this way, when, when God was at the edge of the kingdom, the kingdom was kind of a broken and ugly place. But as God was brought to the center of the kingdom, it became healthier and healthier. And church, in your life and my life, when God is at the edges of our life, there's a lot more room for the ugliness that can come into our lives. And I don't know if you've ever had times in your life where, where God was at the edge of your life. It was like, yeah, I, I believe in God. I think he's there, but he's just sort of, he's at the edge. You, you, weren't, you weren't connecting with him. You, you weren't hearing him and seeking him and worshiping him and, and organizing your life around him. And, and when we do that, that creates the wrong ripple effect in our lives. You with me on this, church? And David brought it to the center. And David said, here's what my passion is as, as this comes to an end, that, that this place, that it gets solidified at the center, that we build a temple, we build a place where it can always stay here, where it can, people can come and they can worship and at the, at the heart of everything that we do is the presence of God. And church, when you and I, when we bring God to the center of our lives, when we start saying, I'm going to organize my life based on who God is and what it means to know him and what it means to serve him and what it means to follow him, that creates a ripple effect of good in our lives. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and the rest will be added to you. Seek it first. Well, here's the easiest thing to do in life is to seek first everything else. And be like, Lord, you're still on the list, you're just kind of on the edges. You with me? You're, you're, you're not totally outside of my life, but, but you're not at the center of my life. And part of the beauty of David, church, is that I believe in his heart was he was passionate to see God at the center of his kingdom, at the center of the people, that the presence of God would be in the midst of his people. And I want to say, church, when we have that in our heart, there is so much good that will flow after it. And today, when you look at your heart and I look at my heart, what is the passion of our heart? Are we passionate for God to be more at the center of our lives? Are we passionate for, for God to be honored in greater ways, for, for us to grow more into who he wants us to be, for us to, to follow him more diligently? This was David's heart. And this is a beautiful and powerful example for us. Now, David's heart had this in mind, and he said, I want to build this, I want to do this, but, but do you notice that God said to him, David, I appreciate that, but you're not the one who's going to build this. And the verse goes on, so, so he uh, finds out, man, he's, he's not going to do it, it's going to be his son Solomon who's going to do it, and then I want to just jump to verse 11, then here's what happened after that. It said, then David gave Solomon his son the plan 
of the vestibule of the temple and of its houses, its treasuries, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat. And the plan of all that he had in mind. So he saw what's in David's heart. Now here's what's in his mind. For the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated things. Now, I just, I was so inspired by David this week. Because here it was, he's saying, man, God, I, I want to honor you. I want your presence to be at the center of your kingdom. I want to build this temple. And then the Lord's like, David, that's not going to be you who builds it. And I don't know if you've ever faced disappointment in your life. Probably not. I'm sure every desire in your heart has been perfectly and fully fulfilled. But just in case anyone in this room has ever faced disappointment, I want to talk about that for a second. David is, is at this moment, man, his heart is in a beautiful place, isn't it? That, I think that is the right desire. That's a beautiful desire. And then the Lord says, it's not going to be what I have for you. Now, when you face disappointment, and when I face disappointment, isn't it easy to just sort of go into a dark hole of self-pity? Anybody? Isn't it easy like when you're, man, you got your hopes up, you know, that's, that's it's brown season, you know, it's the first game, you're like, this is it, man, they finally got it together, it's all going to come together, and then here we are, you know, and, and you're like, has the Lord abandoned us? Does God not love Cleveland? What, what, what's up with that? Um, and, and we all face disappointments of varying degrees. It's, it's a very real part of life. And, and it would be easy, I think, for David to look at that and, and to be like, Lord, how, how could you not honor this desire? Like, this is a good thing. I'm not asking, um, you know, for something ugly to happen in the world, for something that, that is even selfish. I'm, I'm asking that you would just glorify your name in, in this special way. And I'm sure that that disappointment could have easily been a place of confusion. And I don't know if you've ever got confused in your disappointments. You're like, God, I, I want this thing, and it seems like a good thing, and it seems like my heart's not in some ugly place asking for it, but, but what's the deal here? And here's what I love about David. He, here's how he responds to it. He's like, all right, God's not calling me to build the temple but it doesn't mean I can't fund it and make a plan for it. Isn't that amazing? He, he's like, all right, all right, Lord, that's, that's cool. Um, you want someone, someone else to do it? It's not me. Okay, but it doesn't mean that, that I can't ensure that they have everything they need to be successful. This says, here's what I can't do, but do you know what he really leans into? What he still can do to glorify God. And sometimes in life, church, our disappointments, I think we need to look at them like that. All right, maybe God doesn't have this for me, but how can I still glorify him with what I do have? You with me on this? And I believe that oftentimes our disappointments are divine redirections. They're, they're ways that, that God focuses us on what his plan is over what our plan is. And here's, David's like, well, I'm not going to build it, but I'm the king. 
and times have been good, and we got a nice stockpile going here, and I know all these different contractors and all these different material peoples, and you know, I'm kind of well-connected at this point, and, and I, can, I can bring it all together, and I can start working on that. And I think, what an incredible thing. He can't build it, but it doesn't mean he can't plan it and fund it. And I think that when we have the right heart, when it really is about God, when it really is about God, then even disappointments and setbacks and obstacles and frustrations, they become places where God can unleash creativity and resilience and proactivity in our spirit. But David had the right heart. It was about God. And when your heart's about God, church, we're able to navigate the difficulties of life so much better. That these these roadblocks, they, they become new and different ways to glorify God rather than, than places that keep us in the wrong mind. You with me on this? And so David says, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then the, the, the story goes on, and we're into chapter 29 now. And so he says, all right, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And he begins, you know, before the people, he says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to this. And it says, moreover, in addition to all that I provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver because of my devotion to the house of my God. I give it to the house of his God. So again, this then to me is what was in David's hand. So what was in his mind? What was in his heart? Now what was in his hands? Because his heart was after God. It affected his mind, and now it affects his hands. And he says, all right, the things that, that I have as king, all these, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give these for the sake of the temple. And David goes on, and you can read about all that he gave, and you know, Bible commentators try to figure out like, like how much money is it. It's always hard to figure out these ancient currencies that it's been thousands and thousands of years. But the bottom line is, it was an incredible amount. It was an incredible amount. And David says, all right, what is in my hands? And and he gave it for the purpose of God. See, real generosity in our lives does not come from guilt or manipulation, but it comes from a spirit that says, God has been so good to me, and I want to glorify him. And, and this is David in this passage. And as we will look, he just again and again, David has the spirit, just God, you, you've, you've blessed my life so much. And, and now all that I have, it doesn't have a grip on me, but, but now I see this as opportunities and resources to glorify you. Jesus taught us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And those are words we need to think about from time to time. Where is my treasure? Because where that is, there is my heart. And I would say sometimes a good way to bring our heart to a healthier place is to say, all right, Lord, how can I use what you've given me to honor you? Because I think that I feel like this stuff, that I own it, but I think it's starting to own me. You with me? And it recenters our heart. So David gave it, 
And he did this uh, amazing thing. And, and I was thinking about that this week, how, how beautiful that is when, when God moves in our life and we want to honor him and we want to use what we have for his glory. One of my favorite things about Christmas season is seeing how generous our church is. And one of my favorite things that happens every Christmas is so many of you in our church are like, Chet, do you know any family that needs help this year? And I always do. Uh, there's always need out there. And then so many people in our church are just, they don't want the glory. They're not in it. They're, many of them are like, do not, do not tell them. Don't even let anybody look at me this way. You know, it, it's not about that. It's just that, that their hearts are centered on God. And, and because of that, it makes sense for them to say, all right, this season, it's going to be hard on a lot of people. How can I use what God has given me to bless others? And one of the great joys in my role is I just get to see that happen. And it never gets old to me. It never gets old. And, and this, is, this is David's heart. And when, when our heart centers on God, church, then all the stuff of our lives, we begin to think about it differently. We begin to to relate to it differently. And ultimately, I think we're better at using it to glorify him. You with me on this, church? And to actually make an eternal difference in this world. And then the, this whole uh, section ends with David praying. And let me read some of this prayer to you, verse 10. It says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Do you just see in those verses, David is relating to God from the right place? Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. Praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given. And I just want to talk about what was in David's prayer here. Here's the first thing. David saw God as beautiful. You see, what's the first part of this prayer? It's just saying who God is and what his proper place is in the world. You're glorious. You're powerful. You're in authority. You're, you're majestic. He's, he's just honoring the character of God. And you can tell it's a delight to David. The great Tim Keller, author and pastor, he always says, when God becomes beautiful to you and not just useful to you, your heart is being transformed. When God moves from just being useful, like, all right, Lord, I could really use some help over here. Times are tough, God. I could use help on this. When it, when it moves, you know, that's okay. But when it moves from that to, God, I love who you are, that's the transformed heart, church. That's what David had. That's what we want. God is beautiful. We delight in who he is. It's been so fun to see 
the personalities develop in my girls and how different they are. It just is amazing to me. You know, they grow up under the same house, same influence, and become, you already see, very different personalities. Emery, my oldest, she is like just incredibly gentle and sweet and just uh, kind. And Abby is, you know, just, uh, she's got a little fire in her gut, if you will. She's very strong-headed and, uh, and funny and driven and all that kind of thing. I'm, Emery's kind of more like me. Um, and Abby's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, but you know, it, but I delight in both their personalities. They both just are, I love it. I, I love seeing who they are emerge and the uniqueness of how God had made them. It's just, it, it's a joy to me to see it. And here's David. It's a joy to him to relate and to see God. It's like, I just, I just love who you are. As I've walked with you, as I've gotten to know you, as I've faced the lion and the bear, the good times and the bad times, and, and, I've, and I've understood you in deeper ways, I love who you are. And I will tell you, church, one thing I notice in my life, when, when my prayers become more God-focused and less of, my laundry list of items, I know that my soul's in a healthier place. And, and when, I, when I desire more to know God, to grow in him, to seek him, to worship him, I know like, all right, you're moving in the right direction. Your, your heart is getting more to the place that it needs to be. And David, David prays that way. And then he also says in the prayer, he says, and Lord, Everything good in my life, all I have is from you. Church, can I just remind you today, every good thing in your life is from God. If you follow the thread back to its origins, it's from God. And it's all, it's not, you know, because you earned it. It's not because you, you know, you graduated to that level of blessing. No, it's because of his gracious and kind heart. All the things that we enjoy in our life today, the small things and the big things, that is evidence of God's goodness to each and every one of us. And you know what? Sometimes I need to just remind my heart of that. Lord, all these things that I love, that I enjoy, man, thank you. You are the origin of those. And David says, they're, they're all from you. And then David, at the end, did you notice, he says, and who am I? Who am I? That, Lord, you, you would work through my life. What a healthy place to be in his soul. I'll be honest with you, church, sometimes I'm not at that place in my soul. I'm at that entitled place with God. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? I know you're so spiritual, you've never been there. But, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated, and, I, and I'm thinking that, you know, God owes me something. But, but those are times where, where I need to realize my heart has left center. My heart is, has moved on from the pursuit of God and must be after other things. But those times where 
where I'm humbled by the responsibilities, the opportunities that God has given me, church, that's a healthy place to be. David's like, I, I am privileged that I get this challenge, this opportunity. Uh, Lord, who am I that you would do that? And I don't know, do you ever take time just to think about the arc of your life and the hand of God upon it? Do you ever take time to just think about the times where God has met you and God has called you and who you were and where you were at and, and how God just interrupted and pursued us and found us and blessed us? and helped us, that's a, good, that's a good thing to do. David says, who am I? I want, to be, I want to be humbled before the reality of God in my life. That's the right place to be. And David was there. Now, when David makes this offering, it's actually really cool, then all the kingdom responds, and they do the same thing. And, and the, the temple eventually gets built, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. But, but what I love in this passage is that as the people, as they see the sacrifice of their king, they're like, you know what? We're all in too. And can I just remind you that this Christmas season is a great season just to remind ourselves that kind of life is an opportunity like that. That this was their king, David, but our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like David had a heart for God, Jesus was God. And not just had a heart for him, but reflected his heart. Just like, like David faced disappointment and still worked through him, our Lord Jesus Christ faced the disappointment of betrayal, of human brokenness, of ugliness, of corrupt systems, of his disciples not following him, and he still went and did the hard thing. David gave his wealth. Christ gave his life. David acknowledged and worshipped the character of God. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. And church, I just want to end today that in each of our own hearts, could we reflect on the majesty and the sacrifice of our king? Could we reflect on who Christ is? And maybe some of us, we're still trying to explore that and decide that and figure out who he is, what we believe on them. And I want, I want you to take a moment and just think about it. Maybe even open your heart to God and say, Lord, help me in this. And some of us, maybe we just, we just need to remind ourselves of the, the greatness and the majesty of Christ. And we need to allow our heart's passion and desire for him to grow. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep you at the center of our lives. It's such a simple thing to say and can be such a hard thing to do day after day, in the busyness and the demands and the challenges of life. So Lord, today I just pray for special blessings. Pray, Father, that for some of us, help us just to be reminded of who we really know you to be. 
of how we've known you to be at work in our lives, Lord, and let us not take it for granted. For some of us, Lord, maybe we need clarity on that. We're here, we're searching. We're like, yeah, life with God doesn't work, but I don't know what what it's all supposed to look like or be. And I pray, Lord, for those searching hearts that, that, Lord, they would just, they would end up at your feet. And they could see that you are far better than they could think or imagine. Their hearts would be strengthened and made new. Father, help each of us today on our journey and just bring us to you. And let our hearts be filled with humility, with worship, with thanks, with openness. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.